Hello, this is your favorite former U.S. men's national team player, Jimmy Conrad, and you're listening to Gold Bazan. Hi, welcome to Golbazan's part two of the previews into Iran's World Cup opponents in Group B for Qatar 2022. I'm editor Samson Tamajani. Today we spotlight the two of the most highly anticipated matchups in all of this year's World Cup, November 21st against England and November 29th against USA. This episode will feature our interviews with experts on the two countries, including mine with veteran American commentator Glenn Davis. We'll then hear from ITV sport broadcaster Sam Matterface with an English perspective talking to our Sina Samyan. Then we'll close out with Arya Alaverdi's conversation with former U.S. international and 2006 World Cup player Jimmy Conrad. We hope you enjoy and share this with friends, as well as follow or subscribe to us on YouTube, any social medias that we have, and wherever you get your podcasts. Beasley switching in! The U.S. go up! What a goal from Carlos Bocanegra! The U.S. captain! With me is former player, longtime soccer commentator, and journalist Glenn Davis. You may have heard him in past Olympics with NBC. He's also done World Cup matches as play-by-play for the likes of ESPN and Fox Sports. Currently does broadcasts for the Houston Dynamo of Major League Soccer. He's also host of Soccer Matters on the ESPN radio stations in Houston and Austin. And you can listen to him on most po- podcast platforms to search Soccer Matters. That's quite the resume in American soccer. Uh, Glenn, thanks for joining us on Gold Design. Samson, my pleasure to come on. Thank you for inviting me. All right, now, Glenn, you've covered the U.S. men's national team and much of CONCACAF as long as anyone, but Four years ago was the first time in the age of cellular phones that the men's team failed to qualify. So now they're kind of reintroducing themselves on the world stage. What should Iran fans know is different about this era of U.S. players heading into Qatar? So something interesting uh, for for Iran fans, and, and and I think what we have to do is, and you just mentioned a great point here, if you go back to the last World Cup and not making it, that accelerated the process of moving forward a lot of this young talent. We are in an unprecedented time here in U.S. soccer when it comes to not only the experience that a group of young players have, but the the stature of the clubs they're playing for. I mean, you're talking about Juventus, Chelsea, Dortmund. We can go on and on. We, We have American players now playing at the highest levels in Champions League, in the Premier League, in the Serie A in La Liga. And that's never, ever happened before. Never. Um, so from that standpoint, the silver lining and not qualifying was the fact that basically these kids had to be accelerated and they've gathered experience at 19, 20 and 21 that no other American players have ever had. So that's the first thing you have to think about. The second thing you think about is these, these, and I, I call them kids, but some of them are m- mature beyond their years, like Tyler Adams. The other thing you have to consider here is this will be a very first ever World Cup for maybe all of them. The majority of them, maybe one or two have been to one prior. So that's the other thing you got to consider. But they've banked a ton of experience. They've gotten some good leadership from Greg Berhalter, who I think has become a little bit more uh, palatable to the American soccer fan who loves to criticize whoever is the coach. So, um, you know, a great blend and mix of, of, of differing personalities and youth uh, is is what's going to make this U.S. team dangerous. Of course, I want to re- rewind a bit. You know, this group selection makes folks just immediately turn back some nostalgia, some not so fond memories. Uh, I want to ask where you were in 1998 when Iran defeated the U.S. in France in that famous 2-1 game. And what did you take away from that? Well, a couple of things. 
first of all, you know, I played in the 80s professionally in the U.S., and it was a far different thing than, than what it is now with Major League Soccer and the infrastructure. And just for your listeners, I played against uh, one of the great uh, players for Iran, Irash Danafard, if I'm saying that correctly. I'm not sure I am, but he was tricky uh, midfielder, very, very good player. But uh, I had begun to get into broadcasting in, in you know, the mid-90s. So in 98, I was out in California. I was at the Fox Studios. Um, and I was coming on doing a thing called the Fox Scope, which we take some highlights from games and, and kind of break them down, slow the game down and things. But I was out there during the U.S. loss to Iran, that historic two-to-one loss. And I remember I'm trying to drive back from the studio and I pick a street in LA and it's, it's obviously a big Persian area. So, and everybody's just coming out into the streets celebrating and I'm going, wow, this is incredible. And I kind of had to divert my way around it all, but I, I mean, the celebrations were unbelievable. I never will forget that because it's like all of a sudden I take this left and it's like, it's a sea of people. Where am I going? You know? Um, and uh, yeah, we remember that. I mean, obviously these things have political connection and, you, you know, at the end of the day, it's football. And uh, that time Iran won. The U.S. has never beaten Iran. I think they've only played two times. And that other time was a friendly in Los Angeles, a 1-1 uh, draw at that. Uh, it's obviously a different generation. M- much of the players not even alive at that time. <laughs> but So back to this U.S. squad, plenty of storylines facing either Scotland or Wales or Ukraine and then England on Black Friday, all before the – Iran match. So what does manager Greg Berhalter still need to figure out between now and late November? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think the biggest thing for the U S is really the lack of an out and out number one striker. Uh, the position has been filled by a lot of younger guys, Jesus Ferreira, uh, Jesus uh, Pepe, uh, who's playing now uh, at Augsburg in the, in the Bundesliga. There's another example of a young guy. So that's a position that, that seems a bit of a concern for the U.S. What he has to figure out, well, I mean, he's obviously going to be looking over opponents uh, very, very closely and habits and things like that. But I, I think it's about keeping these kids grounded. The other thing is we, we can't forget that, you know, in the approach to this World Cup, which is uniquely in the wintertime, and starts in November, uh, you know, injuries, there's all kinds of things that can change what's going on, the form of players, uh, a lot of that. And, and that applies to Iran and everybody else who's bringing a team to a World Cup. But um, I think they're in a very, very good place. Uh, it's not easy pulling these teams together and getting cohesiveness. Um, you know, when you got guys playing at clubs in different leagues in different parts of the world, I think he's done a very good job of that. I think the U.S. are a very unified group of young guys. And of course, the Iran and U.S. will play each other in that final group B match, uh, November 29th. Obviously, as you said, a lot of variables that can happen and in the first two matches. But overall, do you see this young U.S. squad surprising the doubters heading into that final match? Yeah, I could think they're. The, I could think them and see them as a surprise package. I don't think there's any question. And I, and I think the thing that's dangerous about these guys, in a positive way, is that they are. Uh, they they really seem together to me. Um, they they are, as much as they're competing for places to go to a World Cup, which you know, Samson changes people's lives, right? Um, they all seem to be very, very supportive of each other. The culture seems very, very strong. Um, they had their ups and downs in World Cup qualifying, but to be honest, pretty much everybody did in CONCACAF uh, because of the, the circumstances. And, you know, the U.S. and Iran will get some criticism because they're both in quote unquote, you know, uh, lesser uh, uh, areas of the world when it comes to qualification for the World Cup. Everybody goes right to Europe and South America. I don't think there's any question, which leads to a very validating point is that nobody's ever won the World Cup except the European team or South American team. But uh, I, I think for the U.S., there's a tremendous amount of excitement. We know there's another World Cup that these guys are going to be in in 2026. They're 19, 20, 21. If you project out in a positive manner, you can say, wow, the experience they're getting at these major clubs around the world, 
Europe, the growth of MLS. You combine that with now getting this experience out of World Cup, where are these guys going to be at 24 and 25? Certainly the sky's the limit. Are we going to see you commentating in Qatar, Glenn? You will not see me commentating in Qatar as, as of this moment, but I'll be doing a lot of stuff around the World Cup. Um, I've had the good fortune of calling seven or eight of them, both men's and women's. Um, you know, it's an incredible privilege to, to be able to, to call these games and, you know, just be a part of it, you know. Um, so I, I won't be, but I will be doing a lot around it, uh, no question about it. And we'll be keeping tabs on that. Uh, and, and Glenn, how can we follow you on social media? Social media, Twitter, Instagram, it's at Glenn Davis Sock, SOC, or at Soccer Matters GD. I have radio shows in Houston and Austin. And, um, you know, I'm like you, Samson. Uh, you and me are brethren spirits because we love the game. Uh, we live and breathe it every day. I, I know that from you and your family with your father. Um, so, uh, you know, what's a day without a little bit of football, right? Well said. Glenn, uh, thank you again for uh, joining us on Gold Bizan, and, uh, and uh, we'll talk soon. To all your fans out there and everybody listening to your podcast, one, proud of you, and great job with it. And, and number two, uh, let's all just keep enjoying the great sport of football. Stuffy with the delivery. Ending towards the near post. They're going to win one now. Scored the goal that secures Iran's first victory at a World Cup since 1998. I'm joined by uh, Sam Matterface, um, commentator on UK's ITV as well as TalkSport and Bet365. Sam, I'm very happy to have you on, on this episode. I appreciate your time um, this evening. Um, before we get into the questions, um, majority of our, uh, of our listeners live outside the UK. So I was wondering if you can uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do, essentially. Uh, well, I'm the chief football commentator for two outlets in the UK, Talk Sport, which is a radio station which uh, broadcasts 24 hours a day from London and from all major sporting events. We've been Premier League rights holders now for about 15 years, and we um, commentate, I commentate on football matches every single weekend from the Premier League and present programmes that uh, are centre on football. I'm also the lead commentator for ITV, uh, in the UK, which is the biggest terrestrial commercial uh, television station in the UK. Um, I was the lead commentator at the European Championships. I've been following England for the last two years. And I, I, I do the, the majority, the bulk of the live FA Cup football, which we have. Lovely. Plenty of knowledge um, and, and plenty of experience. Of course, you were in the 2018 World Cup in Russia. I think you commentated on, on Iran's game against Morocco, if I, if I remember correctly, which I'll get into. Sorry, go ahead. I did, actually, yeah. I mean, I th I've been doing every World Cup, almost every World Cup since 2006. Um, and in 2018, yes, I did the uh, one of the early games of that competition, Iran against Morocco, and that dramatic late goal. Absolutely. And I'm, I'll be honest, I'm excited to talk to you about that very shortly and, and, and what your experience was like in the stadium. But I want to get to the, um, the, the important matter at hand, which was the World Cup draw that took place on Friday uh, and uh, the group that was Group B, which um, includes England, Iran, USA and one of Wales, Scotland and Ukraine. So what was England's reaction? I mean, from a, from a from a fan perspective, um, in terms of going into the tournament, and what do you think the team will be thinking in, in terms of this draw? What, what are their ambitions and how does this kind of uh, come into that? Well, England want to win the World Cup. Um, there's no sort of getting away from that now. They've been runners-up at the European Championships, losing only on penalties. They were semi-finalists at the World Cup in 2018. And under Gareth Southgate, they have grown into a team, one of the better teams in, in Europe, and they've got their sights setting on winning a major trophy. They've got some excellent players. They've got some weaknesses in the team, but when they come together as England, they seem to have um, an ability to navigate tough situations. They're unbeaten in 90 minutes going back to November 2020 when they lost to a Belgium team. Actually, it was a really good game back then, 21, 22 games ago now, when they last lost. And they've played some good teams between um, November 2020 and now. Um, so they've done very well in terms of their current form. They've got some well-established, I suppose, 
well-established Premier League stars, I think it's probably worth saying, and a lot of young talent that is coming through. So they've got Raheem Sterling and Harry Kane and Jack Grealish and Mason Mount and Phil Foden, and they've got Bakayi Saka and uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold and uh, Tyreek Mitchell, who's coming through, and you know, Harry Maguire's and uh, the other central defenders like John Stones haven't always been first choice with their clubs or haven't been pulling up trees with their clubs, but they're... There's certainly a lot of talent in that team. And the reason that they are so excited about going to the World Cup is because it's the first time it's happening in, in the winter. Usually, the English players are quite tired by the time we get to June and July. So the idea of having a World Cup in the middle of what would be considered our season uh, might seem to might, might lend a little bit more advantage to them. You, you never know. But yeah, the, the reaction was... Whoever they get in that group stage, unless they were pulled out with an incredibly difficult um, set of teams like Germany or who were in pot two, then I don't think they were really too concerned about it. They're in a, a, a vein of form now, and they have been under um, Gareth Southgate for a long time, where they, they feel they can probably beat anybody. And, and the idea that they can take on Iran, the United States, America, and whoever comes through that playoff path, Scotland, Wales, or possibly Ukraine that they will fancy their chances against too. Would possibly facing Wales or Scotland make it a, bit, a little bit trickier from England's perspective? Yeah, it would because of the emotional um, and, and passionate sort of surrounds the, the following of those two teams and, and the idea of the pressure. I don't know if you saw the European Championships, but when they played um, Scotland in the European Championships, Scotland rose their game 20-30% and England struggled to deal with the the intensity of which Scotland played at. Um, but again, England knew they didn't have to win that game. They'd beaten uh, Croatia in the opening match, who were their biggest threat to qualification. Three teams were likely to qualify from that group, so they weren't overextending themselves against the Scots either. It was a rank night. It was horrible. Um, the rain was coming down. It was cloudy. It was murky. It felt like the middle of winter. It was actually the middle of June. So yeah, it was a strange situation. However, um, they would say that they negotiated. They, you know, nil-nil, last 10 minutes, they, they would have gone for it if they needed to win. They didn't do that. So they managed their way through that match. And, um, you know, the Welsh, they played the, the Welsh recently in, the, in, the, in, a, in a friendly and absolutely tore them apart, although it wouldn't have been anything like the first Welsh team uh, that turned up at Wembley that night. But, I, I, yeah, look, i got to be completely honest. I think whoever comes through that path, it will be difficult because I think if Ukraine get through, I think the emotion and the, 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 the sort of the baggage that comes with Ukraine playing on the world stage, I think will also generate a lot of headlines and pressure. So I don't think anyone who comes through that path is going to be a particularly easy opponent uh, for England. But if England have designs on winning the whole thing, which they do, and they've expressed that, then they've got to get through this group. There's, there's, no, there's no sort of getting away from it. So it's not a, an arrogance, I don't think, from England that they, they have, or, or even the followers of England that perceive this is a, a group that they would take. I think it is an, a lighter group than some of the others that are on offer. But I also believe that's partly because of the fact that they've identified this tournament as one that they are one of the teams that can win it. I'm not saying they are going to win it, because winning a World Cup is very easy to turn around and tell you who isn't going to win a World Cup very easy to tell you who isn't going to win a European Championships. But, you know, Italy were 14 to 1 in the betting markets for, for the European Championships in 2021. Um, and, and outsiders do sometimes have a chance. I think it's a, lo it's a long, difficult journey. It's a month of arduous football. So, you know, only one team walks away with a trophy and there are several good teams in it. But England think that they are one of the top four or five, I think. I think, and I agree with you in regards to um, to potentially playing any one of either Scotland, Wales, or Ukraine, and 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 everything that comes with that. From England's perspective, that would be the third game, which potentially could mean that you would have already qualified for the next round if you win the first two games. However, Iran and England would be meeting in the, in the first game, and as you said, England would be approaching it in 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 the mindset of you know we we want to we want to win this tournament, and as you said, you know that starts within the first game. Do you think that would put a lot more pressure on that first game? Anything that would work in to Iran's benefit, where they would come into it as underdogs? England may feel a little bit pressured on the first game, uh, and that would potentially give Iran an opportunity to uh, maybe cause an upset and, and, and get grab a draw, or even a or even a late winner. 
Look, I, I honestly believe that England should be able to deal with any of the pressures that come their way now, bearing in mind that this group of players have played in a European Championship final on home turf. So the, the fact that they've been through that experience should allow them to relax into any tournament situation. That said, what I do think is really tricky about that game against Iran is the timing of it. I think it's a, a, an odd thing to do to place that before the opening game of the tournament essentially. I mean, the opening ceremony will happen after this match at present. Things can change very quickly, as we know. But it also happens on the first day of the tournament, so the first allocated day of the tournament. Now, that means that there'll be England players, and a lot of them, that would play the weekend prior for their clubs in the Premier League. So the Saturday and Sunday of, I think it's the, what would it be, probably the 13th, 14th of June, or 12th or 13th of, sorry, it will be the 12th or 13th of November. And then on the Monday, they'll get on a plane, go to Qatar, acclimatise. And then Monday, they'll be in the World Cup. There'll be no warm-up games. There'll be no severe preparation. I think if they were playing their first game on the 24th of November, three days into the tournament, might have given them an extra time to sort of acclimatise, get ready and have a little bit of a rest going into it. But all of these players are going to come straight from club football and straight into the thick of the action. And I do think that that might just unsettle one or two. It might, it might cause problems for, for, for varying different teams over the course of the first few days of the tournament. And we always see, when we go to World Cups, that first game, those first games, actually not always going according to plan. Now, England will believe that they are not going to be victims of that. But then, you know, so many times over the course of the last 45, 55 years, we've seen that they have become um, the four guys. So... I don't think anyone will be taking anything for granted. People will be reminded quite clearly, I think, of Iceland in 2016. But, um, yeah, if anything is going to trip them up, it will be the, the timing and the travelling and the, and the getting there prior to the start of the tournament. And it's starting on the opening day. You might not remember this conversation, but um, we had a very brief chat before the Iran-Morocco game four years ago. And I remember one of the questions you asked me was, what do you think a win against Morocco would mean to the Iranian fans. And I remember telling you after the game, I'm, I'm sure you'd be able to, to see that in the stadium. So I, if you can, I want you to go back to that four years and, and take and, and tell us a little bit about what you took from that game. I assume you didn't know much about Iranians and Iranian football as a whole. Um, and considering that majority of that team who you saw that team will be involved in the World Cup as, as some of our key players. Um, what did you think about the team? And more, most of all, what, how do you think the atmosphere is going to be considering that uh, Qatar will arguably be a lot more accessible and to, to Iranians in Iran and, and just Iranians all over the world who will be traveling um, to Qatar as well? Well, the first thing that struck me about that game, when I go back to, to that game, was the reaction. The togetherness of the team, I thought they played really well in that match. And that was a prime example of a team that weren't expected to get anything out of a game, weren't expected to actually get much out of the tournament, but actually people didn't realise how committed that group of players were to play for each other. There were other circumstances, and I think you and I discussed that at the time. At the time, I think that there was certain sanctions on Iran, so as a result of that, they weren't allowed to have certain kit suppliers and boot deals, and all that actually did was serve to unify that group, and they played with a spirit and an endeavour and a togetherness that really helped them in the tournament. I thought they were excellent against Morocco and they took a very late chance. I mean, it was an own goal that separated the two teams, but actually they deserved it. And it was a brilliant, brilliant achievement to get three points on the board. And it didn't stop there because they went and they frustrated Spain in the second game. And then against Portugal in the final game, obviously they, they, they nicked another point and it wasn't enough to get them over the line. But I imagine, and I don't know that it restored quite a lot of pride in Iranian football coming out of that tournament, having competed with the likes of Spain and Portugal and beaten Morocco. For me, I was actually quite blown away about the reaction that I got on social media afterwards. I said a few bits and pieces during the game and obviously got quite excited when the goal had gone in. And, and that was sort of clipped up and taken by a few people. And, you know, a lot of people had retweeted it in Iran or, or, or the Iranian community had done that, even if it is the Iranian diaspora that a lot of people had forwarded it on. So I saw quite a lot of people interacting with that clip of the goal and of other things that had happened in the game. So I felt like 
it was a, it was a big moment. That was one of the first real big moments of the World Cup. So when I go back to that match, and obviously I've done a lot of matches since, and I've, I've thought about that match a lot when the draw came out the other day, I think England will have to be prepared for the atmosphere inside the stadium because I think, and I don't know because I haven't done that much research into what the ticket spread is going to be, how many people can get into the stadium and what the, what the rules are. But um, I understand that uh, there might be, it might feel a little bit like an Iranian home game. So, uh, uh, yes, that would be correct. And I think I saw something the other day that was published by FIFA, potentially, that at that particular stage of the uh, ticket sales, um, I think Iran were one of only maybe four or five teams that saw that allocation. So there is a lot of excitement. And I'll be honest, after the, after the draw as well, um, the excitement has has almost doubled because as you said compared to 2018 and the and the group that we had this group is i wouldn't call it easy because it's definitely not easy but it's more manageable than facing spain portugal and the african champions at the time in morocco so and again facing england in the first game is it's never going to be easy but i'm sure um we'll all be enjoying the um the tournament regardless of the results and the, we are talking what is it now, six, seven months in advance? It's difficult to give predictions, but mm. I'm going to put you on the spot and, 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 and say if you had to predict, um, firstly, how far England will go, and secondly, what do you think the score for that Iran and England game would be? Well, England have to get to the, the quarterfinals. That's, that's, that's the, the sort of, it's always the, the bare minimum for England. Um, they'll be disappointed if they don't get to a semi-final. I think this route to the, to the showpiece events, to the main stage of the, the final and the semi-finals is going to be a little bit trickier than it has been in recent tournaments for them. So, you know, my prediction is, is that they'll get to the quarterfinals and then we'll see. And I think that should always be the, the, the situation. And they, should, they shouldn't bank on getting to the quarterfinals. They should plan for each match and make sure they take every single opponent um, very seriously and respect all, all of the facets that the, the opponents have. In terms of what I think will happen in the England-Iran game, I... I it's, that's very difficult to sort of try and uh, offer up any sort of clear prediction, having not seen Iran for a very long time. And we don't know what the England squad is yet. Exactly. Gonna, you know, six yes, months is an extremely is. long time anyway. In football, six days is an extremely long time. And we can see how, and we will see actually, how a team develops over the course of a tournament, because this is a quite a short tournament in terms of World Cups gone by. So, it's more condensed. There really won't be enough time to sort of play your way into the tournament. You'll have to hit the ground running, really, because actually, before you know it, you'll be in the knockout stages of the tournament because it's such a condensed group stage. But um, I think England will probably win the game. I would probably say there's a 90% chance of England winning the game. I think there's probably only a 50% chance that they'll win it well. I think it'll be a narrow victory. I think it'll be an opening day victory. It'll be be one of those where you just go out and get the job done. I think the intensity of the atmosphere might just cause them a little bit of an issue. It's a 45,000-seater stadium, the Khalifa International Stadium, I think, in Al Rayyan, um, which means that um, it will be... It, well, it's not the biggest arena. The, the kickoff time is, is late afternoon Qatari time, I think. I think it's something like 4 o'clock, I think, uh, in, in Qatar. That means the heat won't be as smothering as it will be later on in the tournament when... England play maybe at one o'clock in the afternoon or earlier than that. So I think the key thing is, is for England just to get through that, through that match, through their second match. And then hopefully when they do face Scotland or Wales, and I do hope it's Scotland or Wales, because I think both those two teams have done so much over the course of the last few years to try and get themselves into a great position to get to a World Cup, that, um, that the job is already done. But you know the United States are a team that are incoming they're, they're getting better and better they're a younger team they're not particularly great at the moment but at, over the next few years they will be be much better than they are now so you know there's a long way to go between now and the uh and the world cups so we'll see what happens but it's exciting i think exciting to go to the middle east and have a world cup because it is a, one of the great things about the the world cup is you get to go to a variety of different places i know there's a lot of talk about qatar and the politics surrounding it and the differences between Western culture, 
Middle Eastern culture, Eastern culture, cultures around the world. But ultimately, the idea of going to different places and sampling what it's like to be in a different country with a different culture, with different ideals, it's good for people. I think it's good for everybody to mix and sample what, what life is like in, in other parts of the globe. So I hope that everybody's able to do that and that we all take something from it. It's hard to disagree with you. You know, for everything that the World Cup stands for, it's difficult not to get excited about it, regardless of, of which country. And as you said, you know, in any country that it is, is always that excitement of, of seeing somewhere new, whether it's a new culture or a, um, a new um, set of fans almost to 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 kind of embrace. Um, but it's also, I think, fair to say that to myself and the, and and almost all the listeners to this will be hoping that you're incorrect in terms of the the result for the for the first game. But uh, <laughs> but again, that that's what we live for. You know, that's exactly what why the World Cup is is so exciting. And I'm hoping that that would be one of the upsets to remember. But look, Sam, I I really appreciate your time, uh, your insight. Um, it will be a uh, excite, exciting tournament as you said and, and we'll be doing a lot more work between now and then hopefully closer to the to the time um, we'll be more than happy to uh, kind of have a chat with you again and see if if your prediction has changed or if you're still going to stick, stick by your word but again thanks for your time we'll speak soon well thank you very much for having me and uh, congratulations on making another World Cup and uh, I hope that you enjoy the experience Thank you. Thank you for that, Sam. Cheers, guys. Thank you. And it sends it in. The header. And it's into the back of the net. The United States strikes. And it's Jimmy Conrad. Jimmy Conrad finds the net. One to nothing, USA. I'm joined by a good friend, Jimmy Conrad, who had me on his podcast as well. How are you doing, Jimmy? I'm doing great. Sorry, great to see you. And thanks again for coming on our podcast. We really appreciated it. We really appreciate it. Yeah, go and check it out. Uh, Soccer We Trust on YouTube. Um, it went really well. Hopefully, you guys uh, can check them out on YouTube as well. Uh, Jimmy, uh, we uh, obviously know you're a, a one of the legends of US football. <laughs> we want. We, uh, wait, wait, those... wait, wait, wait! How much does my mom pay you to say that? It's very nice. Very <laughs> no, nice. you know, everyone at kind of my age knows who you are. You know, we, we've we've kind of grown up with your content on YouTube as you know, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. whatnot. But for those of the guys who don't know who you are, could you give me a little introduction? Yeah, so so the joke is I'm your favorite former U.S. men's national team player. I actually didn't get my first cap of the national team until I was 28. And uh, a year later, I started in a World Cup. So I played in the 2006 World Cup. We were in the group of death. We did not get out of the group of death. It was very difficult. I'm sure that some of your Iranian listeners understand what that means when you're in a tough group and, and you think if a couple things go your way, you have a chance. Didn't go my way in that particular one. Uh, played in the Copa America in 2007. So I've had the opportunity to play against some of the world's best players. We got to play Argentina. So that was that was great to play against uh, Leo Messi, Zanetti, Raquel Lame, Tevez, all those guys. I got to play against Real Madrid and Chelsea and the German national team. And uh, it's it's been very cool for me to play against some of the world's best players. And now, once I retired, I went into media. And... and primarily new media going into YouTube and, and Twitch and social media in particular, Instagram and Twitter to really kind of have some fun. I, I, you know, at the end of the day, Arya, it's just a bunch of grown men in small shorts, kicking a ball in a certain direction. Like it's, it's super serious, but it's also should be, it's a kid's game and we should have fun with it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you're one of the best out there. I've got to say, you know, um, the, the, <laughs> kick t- the kick TV days, kick was, TV. You, know, you know, we all remember you that. So it's uh, great to have you on. Um, okay, so we're here to speak about the US national team, of course, same group as Iran, uh, same as 98 World Cup. Um, you know, going into this group uh, for the US national team, what are their objectives? What do they, how do they feel like they're going to do? Um, and how do you think they're going to do? <laughs> How much time do we have? That's, these are a lot, a lot of loaded questions here. So I think the general answer would be that we have expectations to get out of the group. And that didn't matter who we drew. I think based on the talent that we have, and we're going to have one of the youngest squads in all of the World Cup. We had one of the youngest squads in the whole world for World Cup qualifying. That's not going to change. We rely on some very young players to help drive our team on both sides of the ball. But I think the expectation was for us to always get out of the group. We could have had the group of death. We could have had Brazil in the group. We could have had whoever. And we still would have had the expectation that with this group of players, we have the talent to 
get out of our group. And then from there, anything can happen. I'm sure Iran is looking at it the same way. You guys crushed it in qualifying. And when you brought in Skocic, your, your coach, after it was a little slow start to the second round of qualifying, you guys went on a tear. You scored the second most goals in qualifying. I mean, you have a team that you should have confidence in. And obviously they have World Cup experience having this being their third consecutive World Cup, which is something we don't have. And that's the one thing I think that gives me concern that when we do play Iran and we play them in the last group stage game, we probably have both countries will need a win to probably get to the next rounds. And that is great. I mean, you want to play in big games where everything matters for those 90 minutes, but, but it's going to be interesting and, and I'm excited. So, so what I would say is the expectation for us has always been the same qualify for the world cup, get out of our group and then anything can happen. And for us, it's a little bit more important. I'd say, because we're hosting the world cup in 2026. So the more experience that this core of young players can get, we really feel like it's going to benefit us when we're hosting the world cup four years later. A very good point. The, the world cup being hosted and of course, Mexico, Canada and the U S in 2026. Um, what is the kind of trajectory of U S soccer now, you know, cause obviously, you know, everyone kind of takes a little bit of, makes a little bit of, fun <laughs> of the U.S. saying, you know, they don't really have real football. You know, there's, there's always this kind of like perception sure. of the U.S. But where is it going? You know, how, where do you, how far do you think it can go uh, with this World Cup especially? Well, this World Cup, I think we're really planting the seeds for our talent pool to continue to grow and evolve. I mean, we're looking at, as I mentioned before, a very young squad. So imagine all these players in their primes at 27 and 28 and to compare our team with Iran, a lot of your core players are 27, 28, 29, 30. And I fully expect Iran to give England a nice run out for that first game. And I don't think that's going to be a walkover, but with regard to the U S I still think that if you're looking at this realistically and you're trying to leave emotion out of it, which is very hard as a fan and even as an analyst and as a former player with the team, if you leave emotion out of it, really, we should be trying to plant the seeds for how this can help springboard us to have success in the next World Cup. Not that I don't want to do well in here, but I'm trying to be realistic and, and cautiously optimistic about how this is going to go. Now, what I would say is what's happening with our sport in this country is that we now have a matured domestic league with MLS, which is still trying to gain respect and traction around the world but it's a viable place for our younger players to have a place to play and to be seen and to have a platform to have that visibility, which is super important because now you're seeing more European teams come over and buy our players. Weston McKinney went to Juventus. We have, uh, well, FC Dallas ends up getting a lot of Eric Palmer Brown came out of Kansas city and he's a Kansas city kid or went to Manchester city from Kansas city, a Zach Steffen. You have, Cade, Caden Clark. I mean, they're just, there's just, it's only going to keep growing in that capacity. And so that's a good sign where I think we have evolved into a very good spot in this country is that we have more than enough players that want to play. It is crazy how many players want to play and be professionals. What needs to help really start to match that we need our coaching to get better. We need our scouting to get better. And we need to be able to, once we identify a young player, let's say at 12 or 13, what do we do with that player? Where does he go? Where, where, I mean, I guess you could send him to Europe. You could maybe send him down to some good academies in South America or Mexico or wherever, but, but what are we doing here to help nurture that talent? And that falls back into our coaching and our scouting and making sure that these players get seen. The problem with American sports and the mentality here is that we went, we want to win at all costs. So even at 10 years old, the parents, the coaches are crazy, man. They just want to win these little trophies. And what I think has to change, and when you compare it to the beautiful game here versus where it happens everywhere else, is I feel like there's an understanding of we don't need to win at all costs at a young age. We're just there to develop these players, to help them become better players. They can go on and win trophies once they demonstrate that they're capable of playing at that level. And that's starting to shift, but it's not shifting fast enough. However, we're starting to see some of the fruits of that labor. Some of the kids that did come through did have some good coaches at a young age, and now they're either moving over to Europe or starring in MLS. And this is all positive. There's no negative about it. I just wish it would happen faster. And I think all the fans feel the same way. Can't we be really good and be a world power now? But, but you know, it doesn't work that way. You got you to earn it every, every step of the way. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
obviously you brought up some names there, some you know good players for the US national team. Who are the biggest threats do you think for the Iran national team in this World Cup? For uh, for for the US to for, yeah. for Iran to worry about or the yeah, Iranian yeah, players? Exactly. For the okay, so for Iran to worry about, obviously Christian Pulisic is gonna stand out. He wears a number 10 shirt for Chelsea, he's won a Champions League. He gets hurt a little bit. Uh, that that's a concern. Gio Reyna, one of our other star young players, 18 year old playing for Borussia Dortmund. I played with his dad. His dad played in the four world cups for us. Super talented. He just came off the field again with another injury this past weekend. He was crying when he came off. Cause I think he hurt the same injury he had before Weston McKinney's got a broken foot right now for Juventus. Serginho Dest has been hurt. He plays for Barcelona. I mean, we have some players that are at some of the biggest clubs in the world. My big concern for them is staying healthy. Now, when you think about the right side of our field, you got Serginho Dest, who's very good getting up and down the line. Anthony Robinson plays for Fulham. They're in line to get promoted to the Premier League this upcoming season. So he should be getting Premier League minutes ahead of the next World Cup or, or this winter. We have two outside backs that can get up and down. Their tendency is sometimes they both get up at the same time. And we need to have that balance. If one, one goes, the other one has to stay. So there's going to have to be some some really thoughtful spatial awareness from those guys. I think they're going to have it when the World Cup rolls around. It's more about a discipline than anything else. And then we got Timo Weah, who plays at Lille, who I think has been, when he plays for the U.S., he steps it, steps it up another level. He, he provides that verticality for us and really allows us to maybe stretch the opposing team's defense. So that'll be a, a player that Iran is going to have to pay attention to because if we can stretch your defense a little bit, That'll allow pockets of space in between the lines of your midfield line and the defensive line. And that's where Christian Pulisic, the Gio Reynas of the world, can, Brendan Aronson, who plays at RB Salzburg, can pick up the ball and really hurt you. And then we have a couple players in midfield. Weston McKinney is very good at joining the attack late, getting on the end of crosses late. He's very good on set pieces for us. Yunus Musa, who plays at Valencia, another top young player. He loves to break the lines running with the ball. And if you have a midfield that isn't disciplined and maybe lacks a little bit of athleticism, we're going to hurt you. And uh, because we're relentless, because it's, what's interesting is we do have young players and I think the lack of or lack of experience could hurt us. But we also on the flip side, when you don't have experience, you have a lot of enthusiasm and youthful exuberance. And I think we have that in spades. So it's going to be a long game, no matter who plays against us. We're going to make it a hard, tough game, and we have some players that can make some plays. So you just have to pay attention. If you're switched on and, and you make and you're hard to break down, we do get frustrated. I think, when you know, when you're young and things don't go your way right away and you're, you're you know, 90 minutes into the game or 15 minutes into a 90-minute game and, the you know, plan A isn't working, I think at times we get a little frustrated. We're not – we want to continue. We're stubborn. We're now we're sticking with plan A, man. We're going to stick with plan A instead of going, actually, why don't we just take what the game's giving us uh, exploit the space that the other team's giving us and just move into plan B. And then maybe eventually if we start to really do well with plan A, plan B, plan A will open up again. But, but uh, that takes time to, to build that kind of maturity within a group, which is what scares me about Iran. Cause I think that you already have that. Yeah. I, I think that for, for the U S you know, the biggest threats from the, from the Iran side for sure is, is Tarami and Osmond two strikers as a center back yourself. Um, you know, you've played against some top clubs and top players. How <laughs> yeah. do you think the U.S. defense can deal with the two strikers? How, what do they have to do to make sure that they're not scoring? That's a great question. I would say that the normal rule of thumb, if you're playing against the top player up top, and I've had the chance to play against R9 Ronaldo and Miroslav Klose, who's the, the leading goal scorer in World Cup history, and, and uh, what a thrill to play against some of those guys. But what you have to do is suffocate the service. Because those guys are so good, they're going to find ways to influence the game. But the best way that you can limit their influence is by not allowing them to get the ball, which means you got to suffocate the other guys that are around them. So, so when I think about Asmoon or, or Tarami or, or whatever, how do we just make, when they get the ball, can we get, make them go five yards back deeper to go get it? Or, or if there is a ball out wide and there's going to be a cross, can we make the cross really predictable? So even if they do get to it, it's kind of a weak header on goal or it's nothing that's really going to hurt us. It's, we try to keep everything predictable. And, and I would say is nothing. Don't let them do anything for free. Like if, if they're going to go for a header challenge, if they're about to take a shot, get close, close them down. Don't let them pick up their head and do whatever they want. Cause that's, what's going to build confidence for them. And then if we could obviously stifle them combining with each other, that's going to help a lot, which is going to be hard. Cause as I mentioned before, 
only Japan, I believe, scored more goals than Iran in uh, Asian World Cup qualifying. So under Skocic, you've, you've definitely figured out a way to hit the back of the net in, in multiple games against different opponents. And, and I wouldn't pass, put it past Iran to score in every single group game this time around, no matter how good some of the teams you're playing against because of your talented strikers who we don't really have a number nine. That would be another question mark for us. Nobody's really stepped up and grabbed the number nine spot. So if you wanted to give us one of your number nines, I would gladly take them. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> um, no, I appreciate that. Um, okay. I want to speak to about obviously the group itself, you know, of course the, the England are, are the favorites mm-hmm. you've, and then you've got one of Scotland, Wales or Ukraine who will come in as, as, a strong, a strong team as well, not sure. just a, a team that's going to go out there and just be a holiday for them or a vacation. It's going to be a tough team. So how do you see the, the, the overall standings then? Well, well, you know, I'm going to be extremely biased. It's going to be hard to go up against England. You know, they got to the semifinal of the World Cup in 2018 with the same group of players, ultimately, and, and the same coach with Gareth Southgate. They got to the final of the Euros, up 1-0 with, what, 15 minutes left to go and couldn't see that one out. Italy somehow scraped by to, to win the Euros. And this is an Italian team that couldn't qualify now for two consecutive World Cups, which is unbelievable. But uh, we'll leave that for a conversation for another time. So it's going to be hard to go against England because of this confidence that they're going to have from the two previous big tournaments. I still don't think it's going to be easy for them. However, their players seem to cope pretty well with the pressure. And so they're going to look at this group and think, ah, we got this. This isn't that big of a deal. They're already looking ahead, which I think could hurt them in some capacity. But it's but if we're looking at it on paper, England should win the group. And then it's going to be a, I mean, I'm going to go with the U.S., of course, but I don't think it's going to be that straightforward. No World Cup group is. I had the opportunity to play in a World Cup group myself, and it's never straightforward. It never goes exactly the way that you think it will. And if Iran can maybe steal some points from England's, in the first group game, even a draw would make a, make a big difference. Or even if they kept it close, so 1-0, because goal difference might, it might come down to goal difference in that last group stage game. Now, we played against Iran in the 1998 World Cup. We underestimated them back then. Even though we weren't having a good World Cup, we thought that was the game we could win and end the, end the tournament on a high note. And we lost 2-1. to one. We, we were down 2-0, and Brian McBride scored very late to, to, to make it 2-1 and get a consolation goal for us. We, want, we aren't going to make that same mistake again. We, we have this history now. We also have a ton of respect for Iran. The fact that you've qualified for three World Cups and that you have players that are playing with some big clubs in Europe as well. So there's nothing going to be but respect with regard to that. The key is, and what you've learned, I think if you look at it statistically, you got to get points out of that first game. So I'm kind of glad we're not playing England or Iran in the first one and that we are going to get a crack at Wales or Scotland or Ukraine. Not to say that any of those are going to be easy. All three of those will provide, all three of those countries will provide different uh, challenges. But I get the sense that those three nations, maybe outside of Ukraine, because they're in a very unique situation, assuming that game goes on. But if it's Wales or Scotland, I think there's a little bit of arrogance that they're better than the U.S. You know, that whole that whole region of the world just thinks they're better than the U.S. at at this game. And if they come in with that type of attitude, I think we're going to punch them in the face real quick. And they're going to find out otherwise in the first 15 minutes that it's going to be a long 90 minutes for them. Because we know we need those three points if we really want to put ourselves in a position to go through. So England and the U.S. for me is, is the easy is the, the easy bias one for me. But I, again, I don't know if it's going to be that straightforward. And I think I think it could come down to that last match day. And I hope that Scotland makes it in some capacity because I we talked to an, an English reporter, journalist named James Bench, who works for CBS and, and helped us yesterday for our In Soccer We Trust podcast. And he did not want to play Scotland. He just... It's, it's a rivalry unlike any other rivalry out there for England. There's a lot of history there, and they don't want to have to play them in that last group stage game to maybe book their ticket to the, the round of 16. So I thought that was interesting. He'd rather played Ukraine out of any of those teams. He just didn't want to get into the, any of the, the derbies. And, and that, was, that was fascinating that he, he revealed that and it was so candid about it. Can you give us a prediction for the Iran against <laughs> USC game? Well, I told you at the beginning, I think it's going to come down to both both nations probably needing a win to book their ticket to, to the round of 16. I think that there could be some positioning there that has to happen, but it's going to, I think it's going to be a must win. I'll say 2-1 US and, and we're going to score first. 
and then Asmoon's going to make it one, one. And then, you know, we've, we've, we have a couple of players that are pretty clutch. I could see Weston McKinney scoring on a set piece, like in the 87th minute to steal it. Kind of like we did in the 2010 world cup with Landon Donovan scoring a famous goal against Algeria to, to book our ticket uh, to the round of 16, which is one of our most famous goals. You know, not that I want to leave it that late, but uh, I could see something like that happening. And then, and then from there, who knows, but um, I could also see it ending in a drop. I'm looking at it without any emotional bias whatsoever. I mean, like, I mean, obviously, I'll, I hope you're wrong. You know, I really do hope you're right. <laughs> well, no, I, I, <laughs> I'd expect you to, if you didn't say that, I'd be a little bit uh, yeah. like, whoa, what's going on here? Uh, listen, I really appreciate your time. Uh, again, uh, check out your podcast, uh, In Soccer We Trust on YouTube. Um, one of, again, the legends of US football. Uh, <laughs> you know, no doubt about it. Hopefully, we'll get you back on our podcast. Oh, I'd love that. Um, yeah, anytime. I'd love to come point. on and talk. And if anybody has any questions or... I might have questions for you next time because uh, as we continue to dig into yeah. more of your team and, and uh, you know, I, I remember that you mentioned... Maybe not, you might have the opportunity to get seven friendlies and you're hoping that Iran actually yeah. has all seven friendlies. So I'm kind of curious if you only play four of the seven, how you're feeling about it along with the players and the fans and all that. So I wish you the best of luck. I want the, I want to play against the best Iran team, the healthiest Iran team that we can. I don't want any of our countries to make excuses. I want us to go out there with our best teams and we'll see what happens. Absolutely. Thanks again, Jimmy. I really appreciate your time. All the best. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and thanks to our guests Glenn Davis, Sam Matterface, and Jimmy Conrad again for talking World Cup with us. And remember to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever you listen to us on. Follow our social medias. We're at Golbezan, that's G-O-L-B-E-Z-A-N, on any social media. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever. We're also on our website, GolbezanPodcast.com. That's where you can read all of our articles where we go in-depth for all matches. And we'll be back with more interviews and pods in the next few weeks and months to come. For Golbezan, I'm Samson Tamajani. Talk soon. Markazi from ESPN, and you're listening to Golbezan, your one-stop shop for all your Iranian soccer news.